this up here. Can you all hear me? Okay. My name is Patrick Adair. I'm a hometown boy. I grew up in Palestine. There's my dad. Hi, Dad. Uh, and my wife and my sister and my brother. Whoa. Uh, Doug Washburn was my youth minister way back in the day. And so uh, whenever he's out of town, he gives me a call and asks if I can preach. And here I am, your substitute preacher for the day. I will be here today and I'll also be here next week. So this is my first ever sermon series. Uh, we're, on, we're going to be talking about major words from minor prophets. This is, if you have your little sheet there, uh, this is Major Words from Minor Prophets, Episode 1. You can thank Alex Maldonado for the Episode 1 part. Uh, and we will talk about Episode 2 next week. First of all, yes, first of all, uh, what is a minor prophet? Well, that's an easy one. The minor prophet is anybody who wrote a book less than 40 chapters. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all their books are over 40 chapters long. They are major prophets. Minor prophets is anybody that wrote a book shorter than that. So it doesn't mean their message is less important. It just means that their books are less lengthy. So that's what a minor prophet is. That's an easy one. Uh, I grew up in the church. Uh, been going to church since I was a little kid. And I can probably count on one hand the number of sermons that I've heard from the minor prophets. Except for Jonah. Because Jonah is not, not so much of a sermon as it is a story. And so it's a lot easier to preach on. But seriously, for 25, I'm 25 years old. And I can probably count on one hand the number of sermons I've heard from the books from uh, Obadiah to Malachi, which is almost half the Old Testament. Well, not quite that much. But it's a long section of the Old Testament, and I just haven't heard much. Why is that? One reason is because the prophets had a very specific message for a very specific time. And in order to understand the prophets, you kind of have to know what was going on thousands of years ago to understand what, even what they were talking about. However, because they were delivering the Word of God, uh, their message also has a very specific and important message for us today. That's why it's major words for minor prophets. These are minor prophets, but it's a major word for us today. Today we're going to be talking about Amos, or as I have called him, infamous Amos. Infamous means more than famous. Three amigos, anybody? No? Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so in order for you to understand where Amos is coming from and what he's talking about, it's now time for Patrick's two-minute tour of the Old Testament. Hit it, Alex! Number one, God creates stuff. You'll find that in the book of Genesis. Number two, God calls Abraham to start a nation. And Abraham says, okay, that's in Genesis 2. Three, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, all in the book of Genesis. Number four, Jacob and the boys move to Egypt, where they all are fruitful and multiply into 12 tribes, creating the nation of Israel. That's all in Genesis 2 and a little bit. That happens in between Genesis and Exodus. Next, the 12 tribes are enslaved by Egypt. That's in Exodus. God calls Moses to deliver the slaves. Moses says no several times. And then he says, okay. Uh, they leave Egypt. God delivers the law to them. Number seven. After a 40-year detour, that's in uh, Leviticus and Numbers, the 12 tribes arrive in the promised land. That's in Joshua. Number eight. The tribes are ruled by judges. That's in Judges. The tribes are ruled by King Saul. That's in 1 Samuel. Uh, number nine. King David rocks the house. That's in First and Second Samuel. And uh, not quite yet in First Kings. David's son Solomon builds a temple and an empire. That's in First Kings. Solomon's son Rehoboam, that's a great name for a kid, by the way, if you're looking for kid names. Rehoboam breaks up the empire by being stupid. Okay, now we've got to slow down a little bit and, under, and explain what's going on. We've gotten all the way from creation to there's now a nation of Israel. Solomon, everybody's heard of, the wise guy. Uh, Solomon has a son. Solomon was apparently wise in a lot of things, but not so much in other things, like raising kids. Because... Uh, Solomon, in order to build this empire and build this temple, that took a lot of money. So Solomon instituted a lot of taxes on the people of Israel, which they didn't really appreciate. And so after Solomon dies and Rehoboam takes the throne, 
all his advisors, the old advisors, go to him and say, Rehoboam, the people are going nuts. Eight bananas because of the taxes. Uh, you have got to lessen the taxes. And Rehoboam says, hmm, that's an interesting idea. I'll consider that. And all the young punks who grew up with Rehoboam, who are also his advisors, come up to him and say, Rehoboam, man, this is your chance to shine. You have got to, you've got to say, you thought the taxes were bad during Solomon's day. Just wait till I get started. Guess which one Rehoboam picked? The second one. And so there was a civil war, a very brief civil war, and the kingdom breaks up. Uh, ten tribes in the north break up into the kingdom of Israel, and two tribes in the south, the tribe of Judah, which is Rehoboam, and the tribe of Benjamin, who has always been Judah's friend. Uh, they are in the south, and they are the two kingdoms. So that's the two-minute tour of the Old Testament. Years pass. The tribes uh, stay broken up, stay two nations. Almost 200 years pass, and uh, things go pretty well for the nation of Israel. They, are, they develop a very strong military. They develop a very strong economy. Uh, times are good for most people. Then, after about 200 years, a dude named Amos comes up and starts to become a prophet. Now, right there, we've got to stop. And if you have your little sheet here, uh, <laughs> when me and my dad came in, my dad asked, are we having a test? Uh, this is not a test. This is uh, to help you. Uh, okay, here you go. The shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. This is to help you write stuff down and remember it. So, what is a prophet? Most of us, when we think of a prophet, we think of somebody in a robe. There he is. Somebody in a robe and a stick uh, who tells the future. Um, that's kind of correct. In a biblical sense, a prophet is somebody who receives a message from God and then delivers it. And part of that may be telling the future. By the way, in the Bible, of all the prophets, out of all the prophecy out there, uh, about 10% of all the prophets in the Bible tell the future. 10% of all the books is biblical future telling. Things that happened that we know that, that came true. So what is that other 90%? Uh, <laughs> a prophet is someone who receives a message from God and then delivers it. 10% telling the future. 90% is telling people how it is. Uh, and so this is what Amos came to do. He came to tell the people of Israel how it was. Now, something you have to understand about Amos was... Amos wasn't originally, Amos didn't grow up and decide he was going to be a prophet. Amos originally was a shepherd and a farmer before he became a prophet. So if you're like me and you're trying to think about Bible times, most of what you probably think of is a dude in a robe like you see in the background here. But try not to think about that. In order to really understand Amos, you kind of have to imagine him like this. Give me just a second. Talk amongst yourselves. Try not to knock my microphone off. All right. There. Thank you very much. You have to talk to my wife after that. Okay. Now, imagine Amos like this. Amos is a farmer. <laughs> he looks like a farmer. Everyone can tell that dude's a farmer. Um, Amos hangs out at the tractor supply company. Uh, Amos goes to the tractor supply company every week to find out what, what the, when the new tillers are coming in. So this is Amos. And, so, and one day, Amos, the farmer who's hanging out at the tractor supply company, receives a message from God. He hears God telling him, Amos, that's the way God talks, Amos, uh, I need you to go to Israel uh, and deliver a message to them. And so Amos does. Amos' message was very simple and blunt. Israel's going to die. Now, that's a fun message. Uh, 
So now, okay, now imagine you're a member of Israel. You go to the religious place every day. You offer your sacrifices. Oh, we'll talk about a little bit uh, more about that. And, and some farmer comes up and looks around at everything. Says, hey, can I get y'all's attention? I have a message from God for you. <coughs> Israel's going to die. I'll see y'all later. Now, that is what hearing a message from Amos must have been like for the people of Israel. I did the, I did the farmer voice and it knocked my throat out. Ah, better. <clears throat> Amos comes up. And actually, if you look at if you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Amos, if you can find it. <coughs> Excuse me. Amos starts off very nicely from the, the people of Israel's perspective. Amos comes and he starts talking about all their neighbors and what they're doing wrong. This is a good way to get people's attention in a sermon. It's like, y'all know the people around you. Let's talk about what they're doing wrong. And everybody will sit up and listen. Yeah, let's talk about that. So Amos, for the whole first chapter of Amos, talks about all the nations that surround Israel and what they're doing wrong. Uh, Amos is in the Old Testament, behind Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all that stuff. If you hit Jonah, you've gone too far. If you hit Malachi, you've gone way too far. Uh, <coughs> you'll find it in there. Amos spends all of chapter 1 talking about what all people around Israel are doing wrong. Starting in chapter 2, Amos starts talking about what Judah is doing wrong. And remember, Judah has split off from Israel. They're the, the enemy, the separate country. And so now the people are really sitting up. They're like, yeah, let's talk about Judah and what they're doing wrong. This is good stuff. We like you as a prophet, Amos. We should get more farmer prophets. And then, starting in Amos chapter 2, verse 6, things change. Uh, and Amos gets into that message about how Israel's going to die, how God is going to destroy Israel. And now the people turn on Amos. <laughs> it doesn't say this, but you can imagine. Uh, if you're hearing this message and you're an Israelite, people will say, wait a second. We like the part about how all our neighbors were bad and how Judah was bad, but we don't like this part. Why was Israel going to die? What did Israel do that was so bad that Israel was going to be destroyed? Here's the reason. Israel was very religious, but they had no compassion for the poor. Just as an example, Amos chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, For three transgression of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. <coughs> because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who pant after the very dust of the earth on the heads of the helpless also turn aside the way of the humble. A man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my name. On garments taken as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And in, that, oh, there it and in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Now, there's a couple of things going on here. One thing is, notice, there's, there's talk about altars, and there's talk about wine, and being in the house of God. So these people are religious people. They go, in our terms, they go to church every Sunday. In their terms, they had the law, and they had a whole bunch of sacrifices, and a whole bunch of holidays, and religious festivals that they had to go to. And all the people there, or apparently all the people in Israel, were really into that. They said, yeah, religious festivals, let's go, let's do it. Uh, be at the house of God, yeah. But notice also that there's something else going on here. Uh, while they're going to the religious festival, while they're at the house of God, they are, what, as Amos says, trampling on the needy. They are uh, rubber, ground, grounding people in the dust, is what uh, is talking about. Selling the needy for a pair of sandals. Um, stretching out on garments taken as a pledge. 
what that was was uh, back in the day, imagine if you're in a, a farming society, you don't have paper money. Um, if you have a loan given out to somebody, you have to give them some kind of collateral that you know weighs something. You have to give them a chicken or a goat or something. Uh, and if you're a very poor person, maybe the only thing you had to give them was literally the shirt off your back. Uh, and this, this happened a lot in the ancient world, that, that poor people, in order to get a loan, would give, them the, give you the shirt off their back as their collateral. And whenever they could pay you back their loan, they, you would give them back their shirt. Uh, in the law that God gave Moses, it says specifically for the Israelites not to do that. Because, that, uh, it's, because it's humiliating uh, for a poor person to have to give up their shirt. And God says, no, 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 no. Other people may do that, but you're not going to do that. And they're doing it. Right? Amos says right there. Very religious people who had no compassion for the poor. Uh, Amos chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, it mentions two places that were holy places to Israel, places that they would go and hang out and uh, do holy things, sacrifice to God, uh, sing worship songs, whatever it was that they did that was, was considered holy. Go to, and this is what Amos says. Notice a little bit of sarcasm here. Uh, Amos 4, 4. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin some more. Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithe offering every three days. Offer a thank offering from unleavened bread. Give free will offerings. Make them known. For you love to do that, sons of Israel, declares the Lord. So God acknowledges, yes, yes, you love to go to church. <laughs> you love to do the religious thing. But uh, there are other issues here. This may be the, the best section of Amos, the next part I'm about to read. Um, if you're the kind of person who likes to underline in your Bible, you should underline this section. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. Here's what God says. If you're weighing, uh, said, God says, if I'm going to weigh you know, your religious passion versus your treatment of the poor, here's how it comes out. Verse 21. I hate, I despise your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will not look at the peace offerings. Uh, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God says, if, it's, if we're going to make a comparison about which I would rather have, uh, you taking care of the poor or you being very worshipful and showing up to church every Sunday, really what I would like is for you to take care of the poor. In fact, if you're not doing that, then your songs to me are noise. Your offerings to me are worthless. That's a harsh word. And coming from a farmer, <laughs> somebody who may, be, who may have been poor... Uh, you can imagine that Amos probably delivered that with a lot of passion. You can probably imagine that those who were rich and those who thought they were doing well by being religious were upset by that. Why was this such a big deal? Uh, if you go back to chapter 1, and when Amos is talking about all of the nations surrounding Israel and why they're bad, he mentions the terrible things that they're doing. The slaughtering, the massacres, just what we would call human rights violations. And these guys are religious, and they, they just don't care about the poor. Uh, I've heard it described as a misdemeanor. God, these guys have committed, uh, the nations around Israel have committed capital crimes. And Israel has committed a series of misdemeanors. And God says, now you're going to die. Does that seem, that seems a little unfair. Until you realize this. God had chosen Israel specially. And he told them what he wanted specifically. When God gave Moses the law, he said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. What that means was, a priest is somebody who uh, is a mediator between God and humanity. The kingdom of Israel was supposed to show everybody else around them what God was like. The kingdom of Israel was supposed to show everybody around them what it looked like to have people who loved God. And when Israel does this, when they worship God, 
but trample on the poor. When they worship God but cheat the poor, it just blows, it blows the whole system. Nobody's going to figure out what God is about based on that. They're going to think that God is about rules and not about love. So, that, so there's that. God chose Israel specially. He said, uh, you got, all over the prophets, it says, Israel is my firstborn son. Uh, imagine that relationship between a, a father who loves his firstborn son. And that's the way God loved Israel. And he told them what he wanted specifically. Um, in Exodus it says, well, go to Amos chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, and against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. That word there, punish, could also be translated, hold you accountable. Translation, I, hold you, I chose you specially. I told you what to do specifically. And because you didn't do it, I have to hold you accountable to a higher level. Uh, imagine somebody being the teacher's pet. Um, most of the time, being the teacher's pet is a good thing. Uh, the teacher um, favors you and praises you when you do a good job. But imagine if you're the teacher's pet um, and you beat somebody up. How mad is the teacher going to be at you uh, if you're the teacher's pet? This is the same kind of thing. God has a special relationship with Israel. And God's always going to be mad when the poor are not taken care of. But he's especially going to be mad when his people, who he chose, don't do what God told them to do. Just to add a little more to this, remember, Israel used to be slaves. They had nothing. They didn't, even, they didn't even own themselves. And God saved them and rescued them and set them up in their own land and said, now we can get things started and you can show the world what I'm all about. And these people who used to be slaves were now treating other people as if they were less than slaves, grinding them into the dust, uh, selling the needy for a pair of sandals, taking, uh, taking poor people's shirts as pledges. Um, the, all over Amos, it talks about bribes in the courts. Uh, taking bribes from rich people to, and, and putting down poor people. This was the kind of thing that was going on and the kind of thing that, that Amos was, was so upset about. This is why God said, I've had enough of this. I'm going to destroy you. Uh, and just to add a little more to this, if it sounds harsh to you, just remember this wasn't the first time that God had brought this up to them. Uh, it was in the law. Uh, various other prophets had come before Amos. Elijah was one. You may have heard of him. Uh, Amos chapter Amos chapter six, Amos chapter four talks about other things that God had done to get their attention. Things like floods, things like famine, things like plagues. Anything God could do to, to wake them up and say, "We're doing something wrong. We have to figure out what we're doing wrong and fix it." And they had ignored that. Even after Amos, even after after Amos delivers this message of death, uh, it was thirty years before Israel was destroyed. A whole other generation of people. God was waiting on to see, okay, now they've gotten the message. They can't ignore it anymore. Let's see if they do it. And a whole generation of people didn't do it after Amos. And so it wasn't as if God just snapped one day and decided, I'm going to destroy my people. There was generations, hundreds of years, uh, and 30 years after Amos, where they had the chance to improve and didn't. So just keep that in mind if it sounds harsh. But there's hope. What were they supposed to do? There is some hope. Amos chapter 5, verse 14. Seek good and not evil that you may live, and thus may the Lord God be with you, just as you have said. So they all said, the Lord is with us. But now God says, if you do what I ask you to do, I will be with you, just like you think I am. Verse 15. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the courts. Maybe the Lord of God will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And Amos 5, 4. 
this is the, the word, what Amos says to do. Seek me and live. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these, all these, all, everything that you're worried about, you'll get. Uh, everything that you stress about, you'll get. Amos says, Seek me and you will live. Um, the people of Israel were doing their best to do what they thought they should do. They thought, okay, if we show up and do, what we're, and do the sacrifices and show up and sing the songs, then God will be pleased with us and we can get on with the real business of what we really want to do, which is to make money. <laughs> um, and God was not pleased with that, obviously. Uh, C.S. Lewis, as a Christian writer, said, if you seek comfort, uh, you'll, you'll lose it. If you seek comfort, you'll continue to go from one thing to, one, to the next thing to the next thing. Whenever whatever you have doesn't fit you anymore, you'll leave it behind and seek the next thing. If you seek comfort, you will always be moving and moving and moving. But if you seek the truth, you'll find it and you'll find comfort. God says basically the same thing. You've been seeking yourself and to try to please me at the same time, and you haven't done either. Uh, if you seek me, then you will live. When you seek God... As Jesus said, when you seek first the kingdom of God, you start to think like God thinks, and you start to see like God sees. God looked down at Israel and saw their festivals, but he also saw the poor. He also saw the people that, that were left behind in the dust. When you start to think like God, and, and when you start to seek God, you start to think like God thinks and see like God sees, and you see the things that God cares about. Our culture... Uh, tells us, I've said this before uh, other places and also here, our culture tells us to get all you can, can all you get and sit on the can uh, God says, seek me and you will live God says, seek me and you'll find out the things that I care about God loves hard luck cases, <laughs> you can look all over the Bible and find people that you would just write off and say are failures, and God takes them and makes them something great, God loves people that the world says are trash, God loves people that the world says are poor and worthless that's the kind of thing that, that God does. That's just who he is. And if you seek God, you'll start seeing things the way God sees. You'll see somebody that you would first think, uh, in a worldly sense, is trash and worthless. Uh, a drain on society. All those things that people say about poor people. Um, if you start seeking God, you'll start to see them like God sees and see. This is a person who's hurt. This is a person who is in need. This is a person who needs help. That's the way God sees them. Why do I bring this up? Why this message? Uh, for one thing, because like I already said, we don't get a lot of messages from the prophets. And this is an important message. Amos brought a message to a country that had a strong military, a good economy, um, was very religious, or thought itself was very religious, but didn't care about the poor. Does that remind you of any country that you might know? <laughs> uh, strong military, great economy, um, very religious, 90% or something of the people in the United States say that they believe in God, but don't care about the poor. And there are people that care about the poor. But just as a whole, as a society, I'd say that we've probably done a pretty bad job. One thing that we've done in this country is, as, as a church, as Christians, people who say that we follow God, we have left the poor to the government. And say, well, that's really the government's business. We pay our taxes, they're taken care of. But we're supposed to be about the things of God. And God, according to Amos, cares about the poor. Uh, that's the other reason I bring this up today, is because I know Doug and I know y'all uh, and I know the kind of church that you want this to be. Uh, you want this church to be a church where anybody can come in and feel welcomed. You want this to be a church where people who have never heard about God, never heard about Jesus, and don't care about either, can come in and find God and find Jesus. 
when you start doing that, when you start looking for those kind of people, the people that you're going to find are poor. <laughs> uh, I'd say this also, uh, just to let you know, I know this is a church that cares about serving the community because you know that God desires that of you. Uh, when you start serving the community, you're going to find poor people. And you're going to find that poor people don't just have one problem. Poor people have lots of problems. And they all uh, intermix with each other. Most of the time when we think about people that are poor, we think, well, if, if they just have money, they'll be fixed. Most poor people don't know how to budget. Most poor people are from broken families. Uh, most, a lot of the poor uh, have problems with drugs and alcohol. And so all that is mixed together whenever you're ministering to the poor. So I want you to, to know that ahead of time. Knowing, that the, knowing the kind of church that this church wants to be, that's the kind of thing that you're going to come up against. But it's exactly the kind of thing that God wants from his people. God says, seek me, uh, and you'll find that. If you, if you, do, like, if you do as Israel does, uh, and come and say, I'm going to come and get my needs met, and then go about what I need to do, then you, you won't please God, and you won't please yourself either. But if you seek God, then you'll find yourself seeking the things that God wants to do, and that God wants you to do. I say this not as the best model. <laughs> I grew up in a culture that said... Uh, that try to ignore the poor. We live in a culture that builds walls to keep the poor out. Uh, I grew up in that culture, and that's the way that I think, is uh, I, I, a, a blunt example. I pass a sick dog on the side of the road, and my heart goes out to it. Oh, that poor dog. It needs a home. I pass a homeless guy on the side of the road, and I think, man, I wonder what he did to get in that situation. Why doesn't he just get a job? <laughs> that is not from God. Uh, that my heart goes out to a dead dog, but my heart doesn't go out to this man that God created who has potential, that God has a plan for, and that God loves. That is not from God. Uh, and that's, that's what I find myself doing. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, my wife and I uh, are seeking the same way that y'all will seek to, seek, to figure out how to minister to the poor. The first thing to do is just be aware. Be aware of in your community, where do the poor people live? What are their problems? What can you as a church do to help them? That's, that's step one. Will it be complicated? Yes, it will. Is it worth doing anyway? Yes, it is. Because God said to. He said it in Amos. I'd like to close with just this statement. What does God want? Amos chapter 5, verse 24. Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Thank you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for... Uh, the challenge that it brings to me, the challenge that it brings to all of us, God. I lift up, I want to lift up this church to you, God, and just ask that you would make it the kind of church that you want, with the kind of people that you want in it. God, those who will seek you and find life. God, as they're seeking you, they will find ways to minister to this community. They will find ways to minister to people that have been left out and left behind. Heavenly Father, I lift this up to you, God, knowing that that's your will for them and that you will work to fulfill it. God, I lift up anybody with, uh, with those kind of needs that I spoke about in here today, God. There may be those who, who say, that's me. <laughs> I need that help. God, I pray that they uh, would find, those, would find uh, God, just, just your provision for those needs. Lord, if there's anybody in here who heard, seek me and that you may live and doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they uh, would seek out answers to those. And I just want to let y'all know <laughs> that, I, that if you'd like to talk to me or anybody at this church about having a relationship with God, you can do that. God, I just lift them up to you and pray this in your name. I'm asking in Jesus' name.
Amen.